1: And welcome to In The Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bilotto, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We have Jack Belcher, the Executive Vice President of HBW Resources. But first, I want to talk to you quickly about our latest issue of Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine. Uh, Our cover is the President of the United States, President Trump. And it's a great issue, probably one of the best that we have put out In my humble opinion, for the reason that it is written in a way that we can all understand the great and positive things that President Trump has done for oil and gas. If you want information on oil and gas and how it's connecting into your day-to-day life, your job, your career, go to shellmag.com. Click on the tab of the picture of the latest issue of Shell Magazine and read all about all the amazing things that President Trump has done for oil and gas. But now it's time to bring on our resident energy expert and associate editor of Shell Oil and Gas Business Magazine, David Blackman. David, how are you?
2: Oh, just wonderful. It's just a beautiful day in North Texas here.
1: I'm, I'm glad you, you know, we saw you. You came into San Antonio. You were the keynote speaker at the uh, STEER Eagle Ford Excellence Awards. Great job and a great speech, by the way.
2: Oh, I was happy to do that. that that's such a great organization. It was a real honor to, to be able to do that.
1: You know, we, we, we love listening to experts uh, like you that kind of tell us, okay, what's next, what's coming? Uh, and so I think the uh, audience uh, was really um we were all ears on, on what's happening in 2018 and where are we going to go. Um, so good job and I'm glad you made it home safe. I want to uh, jump into uh, the OPEC and Russia deal that they agreed to extend uh, the export limitation deal through the end of 2018. Um, tell me why do you think they did that, What's happening there and, and how does it impact oil prices um, and what's next?
2: Well, they did it. You know, I mean, I think it makes perfect sense for them to, to continue to extend that agreement. It's been incredibly effective, quite honestly. When they entered into it a year ago, uh, there were a lot of people in the energy media that j- chuckled about it and said, well, you know, these OPEC countries, they're going to cheat on their quotas and they'll, they'll never hang together. And, you know, the Russians have different interests than OPEC does, and so it'll never work. Well, uh, when they entered the agreement a year ago, uh, with the oil price sitting in the mid-40s, they said that uh, their target price for Brent crude was between 60 and $65. They wanted to stabilize the global market, uh, balance supply with demand, and get the price up to between 60 and $65. Well, a year later, the price is sitting right in the middle of that range. The oil market is stabilized. Uh, There's been an incredibly high rate of compliance with the agreement by the OPEC countries and by Russia. And it's been an amazing success. Uh, And all the people who snickered at at those countries a year ago um, are kind of feeling foolish now. So it made sense to extend it. The the market is balanced, essentially. Uh, But extending it through 2018... um, You know, just try to keep the the price at a strong level makes sense. They they also agreed they would uh, around April of next year at the regular OPEC meeting uh, that takes place every year during that month. They will reassess where they are. And uh, if it looks like they don't need to extend it for the rest of the year, there's some chance that they might uh, revise the quotas or even abandon the agreement. But, uh, you know, in any event, it was good news for the markets. The price has dipped since that was done because the market already had (laughs) extension priced into it, and uh, and so um, some of these uh, investors are taking profits, and it caused the price to dip. But uh, I think that's temporary, and and, you know we'll see it level off and start moving up again.
1: Well, I I think it's safe to say that you know a lot of the budgets are going to be coming out in December. Um, and uh, we, we see a stabilization. I mean, I think uh, in talking to some of our partners and, and advertisers, uh, everybody seems to be pretty confident that 2018 is going to be a lot more stable than 2017 uh, mm-hmm. was. So I think Edson that's right, th- you yeah. know. So at least like you said yesterday on uh, uh, on your keynote speech, uh, we don't like uncertainty. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't do well for the markets or for anybody. So uh, hopefully uh, stabilization is, is great. I want to uh, change gears a little bit in something that's a little uh, different in manner, which is the uh, executives uh, from the refinery companies are going to be meeting with President Trump. Uh, and that's going to be to discuss uh what they would like to see in the renewable fuel standard and that's the epa ruling that forces refineries to blend ethanol with other biofuels uh in the gasoline products and are there there are some issues with this um, why are there issues and why should our listeners be concerned
2: well yeah there are issues with it uh, the fact of the matter is that this is a scheme that was uh concocted by the epa 15 years ago to Mainly as a way to promote uh, ethanol made from corn and prop up the corn farmers in Iowa and elsewhere, um, it, it you know we should all be uh, concerned because it raises the price of gasoline. It has absolutely no benefit to the environment whatsoever. Most of this ethanol that gets blended in with gasoline actually uses more energy to produce than it actually provides. Um, Ethanol ethanol harms the engines in your lawnmower and all these other, you know, high compression engines that run your lawn equipment. It's very harmful to them. It's harmful to some of the high-performance car engines, frankly, like Jaguars and Maserati. And so it's just, it's a nuisance fuel. Hey, um, hold on.
1: <laughs> no I got me is. a Maserati. Hold on a minute. I don't want well, that gas. It,
2: yeah, you don't. I mean, you don't want any more than 10% ethanol in your gasoline if you have a car like that. Uh, because it can be harmful uh, to the to the engine. And so, you know, but we continue to promote this nuisance fuel uh, because the Iowa caucus was the first contact in the pre- presidential primaries every four years, and every candidate feels the need to go on and bend his knee up to Iowa and pledge their allegiance to these, what well, are essentially, this is a program that subsidizes corn farm, and that's what it is. And, um... You know, the, the refiners it, it, it causes problems in the refineries. It, it increases their costs of refining products. It increases their costs of transportation. And, you know, it, it increases their maintenance costs on their equipment in the refineries. And so they, these are all things I think these uh, executives want to talk to the president about and see if he might be willing to revise renewable fuel standards to some extent. Um this president might be willing to do it. He is uh, completely different than anyone we've had before, as we, we just saw this week with his announcement that he's going to move the U.S. embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Um, every president since Richard Nixon has made that promise, and he's a, he's actually the one who's going to follow through on it. Uh, so he's he has courage. He doesn't mind upsetting certain people. And... Um, We'll see what happens, Uh, but yeah, you know, that's an important issue and something everybody ought to be paying attention to.
1: Well, it seems almost like we've been through this before. There was uh, that period of time where ethanol was supposed to be the solution for everything uh, pertaining to our gas needs, and and that kind of didn't end too well, Um, so why would it be any different now? Um, I mean, especially when we have an abundance of, of oil and gas right now that is cheap and there's plentiful and we don't need to go into. I mean, I understand the farmers, but, but why don't you grow uh, crops that we actually need for food purposes and not for the gasoline purposes, since we have so much?
2: Well, that's part of the tragedy of this whole policy. Okay. Uh, when you drive through little towns uh, on Highway 69, US 69, through El Campo and Port Lavaca, in that area, that used to be all rice farms down there. And half of that land has now been converted to farm corn just so it can get the subsidies uh, from the renewable fuel standard for, for farming corn. And it has completely corrupted not only the, the gasoline markets. It's corrupted the food food industry. It's, it's raised the price of beef. Uh, it's raised the price of all manner of products in the grocery store. It is a tragic policy uh, for the whole country, and it's, it, if the Iowa caucuses were the fifth contest in the presidential elections instead of the first, it would not exist. That's the truth about the Renewable Fuel Standard, because it's not providing any any environmental benefit whatsoever. And I feel very strongly about this. Can you tell?
1: Uh, I can. So, David, <laughs> let's talk about the tax bill making its way through Congress, Where does that stand? And then, of course, how is it going to impact the oil and gas industry?
2: Well, it's in in a good spot. The Senate passed its version last week uh, with a two-vote margin. And uh, that's probably as good as you can hope to do with the Republican caucus there. Uh, So now it goes to Conference Committee. The uh, House and Senate will reconcile the two versions of the bill, produce a final bill, and take a final vote. And if it passes, it'll go to the president's desk. It's... uh,
1: the chances, the chances look pretty good that it's going to pass, correct?
2: Yeah, I think so. It, it, there are quite a few differences that have to be reconciled. Uh, for example, the corporate tax cut, uh, the corporate rate cut uh, that goes into effect in 2018 in the House version of the bill got put off to 2019 in the Senate version. And there's several different issues like that that are going to have to be agreed to. Um, but. Regardless of what happens with those issues, it's a good bill for the oil and gas industry because it main, maintains the status quo with a couple of the tax treatments that are specific to the industry. And uh, you know, the lower corporate tax rate, of course, will will be a boom uh, to the whole economy because it's going to really uh, spur investment in new plant equipment and uh, it'll create economic growth like we haven't seen since the 1980s and 90s.
1: It's always amazing to me how, how one party just can spin it so bad that it is just so, so bad. And yet, it, it really isn't going to be bad. It's going to be good for business. It's going and when businesses. For everybody. Yeah, once business, yeah. everybody gets going or the businesses get going, it trickles down to everybody. I, I just, uh, you would not think that if you listen to main media of how bad this tax bill is going to be.
2: No, the rhetoric uh, coming out of the Democrats on this thing is just completely irrational and frankly shameful. I mean, it just is really shamefully dishonest.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. Well, this is all the time that we have for this week, but next week when you are back on, I'm sure we'll have more to discuss, hopefully with the tax bill making its way through Congress. And, of course, we'll get updates on what's happening in the oil and gas uh, world. Until then, have a great weekend. Thanks for being on the show.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: And with that, we do have to take a quick break. When we return, we'll be talking to Jack Belcher, the executive vice president of HBW Resources. You are listening to An Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back.
0: Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at magmag.com. Or you can call us. Again, that's 210-240-7188. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Visit our website, shalemag.com.
1: And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. And our guest today is Jack Belcher, who is the Executive Vice President for H. BW Resources. Jack, welcome to in the old patch.
3: Great, thank you, good to be
2: here.
1: You know you have an exciting company because uh, what you guys do and I'm going to let you tell us about what you do um, here in a second, it's a really important diverse company. So I want to dive into tell us a little bit about what is HBW Resources.
3: We are a consulting firm that offers a number of different services to clients in the energy and transportation space. Our clients are uh, energy companies, upstream, downstream, midstream, uh, even in in renewables. Uh, We have also transportation companies as well. The services we provide are government relations, regulatory affairs, communications, advocacy, association management, and business development. So our clients are really uh, all over the space of energy, and we perform slates of services for those clients uh, really designed to, uh, to address their particular needs, whether it's obtaining a permit or improving their communications capabilities or helping them in development of coalitions to meet certain objectives. And we have a lot of tools that we can utilize in order to do that including coalitions
1: yeah uh, and you know hey we all we need more coalitions pertaining to energy especially but you also are no stranger to uh getting things done you're tell us a little bit about your background you're very seasoned in this area
3: (laughs) sure well i started out my career for texaco uh working in the gas department right after natural gas deregulation took place so that's where i got my start then i moved to washington and, and worked uh in a couple of different capacities there, I work, worked for the Independent Petroleum Association of America. Uh, I worked for Hart Publications. I had a couple of stints there as a Washington correspondent and then, and then ultimately as editorial director for a group of those publications. And then I went to work for the uh, the House Natural Resources Committee. The, I was the staff director for the subcommittee on energy and mineral resources, which is a subcommittee that has jurisdiction over oil, gas, and mining On federal lands and offshore and then from there I went to work for Shell in Houston as the manager of regulatory affairs and public policy uh, for the EMP business in the Americas for Shell and so that was offshore and and onshore in the Rockies and in Canada Uh, Alaska was I was very much involved in the offshore Alaska effort um, and then um, efforts in um, South America as well so then I moved from there into the consulting world and have been with HPW uh, resources here for a number of years, uh, working with different different types of clients on uh, different types of projects.
1: And I have to tell you, looking at uh, y'all's website and just, you know, kind of knowing the company, it's a who's who of, of every person capable of, if you want some answers, if you want some advocacy, if you need some help, this is the place to go to. But... I wanted to bring you on the show to talk a little bit about uh, some really important different areas of energy and specifically I want to start off with LNG. Tell me a little bit about LNG, the exports. How is it impacting US uh, gas markets? Well, it's
3: it's uh, the impact you know currently is is fairly small because we've just really started exporting LNG. We we've been actually doing it out of Alaska for many years, but a small facility. In uh, in the Kenai um, that that Phillips started back in the 60s, but other than other than that, um, we've been you know we haven't been exporting LNG out of the Lower 48 until in the last couple of years, and now there are a number of projects underway at various stages of development uh, to export LNG all around the world. The first being Chenier's facility in Sabine Pass, Cameron Parish, Louisiana. And I believe they've had over 25 countries around the world that have received uh, shipments of LNG, um, pretty significant quantities, and in, in, in places, you know, around the world in Asia and the Middle East, and in even places like Poland and Lithuania. So there's there's um, there's a significant you know amount of, of natural gas that's starting to move in that direction. A number of other projects coming online, many of which are in the Gulf Coast, Texas, Louisiana. Uh, so one of which is uh, going to start in the next couple of weeks, uh, shipping overseas, and that's uh, a facility at Cove Point in uh, Maryland, and that'll be taking gas out of the Marcellus and shipping it overseas. One of the destinations is going to be India. Um, so there's there's um, these projects are coming online, and it's it's important because you know we have an abundance of natural gas that we're producing in this country, primarily from the shale plays. And we have, um, you know, we've we've built a lot. That's done a lot for our country. We've got a lot of demand that's gone into electricity, gone into chemicals, gone into manufacturing. Um, But we're going to have, you know, our demand growth is not nearly as robust as our supply. So, So we need new markets. We've been shipping natural gas to Mexico via pipeline, very significant amounts, new pipeline projects and uh, and and now we're shipping it overseas in LNG so that's going to serve as a very important relief valve for our North American energy market a way to help with prices a, po- a way to help with new markets and it's also going to have you know very positive impacts for the US for for our balance of trade uh with nations like China uh in, in terms of geopolitics being able to displace Russian gas in Europe for instance um, and it's very important for the United States as a foreign policy tool, and the administration is has embraced it as such. So it's going to it's very significant in terms of, of its economic impacts, uh, its its impacts on shale production in the United States, and and natural gas prices and natural gas markets and and finally for geopolitics.
1: Exactly, and I do wanna get into a little bit more of that. We do have to take a real quick break, but when we return, we're gonna start talking about some of the geopolitics involved with LNG and oil exports. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back.
0: You know, great companies take great care of their employees. Ensure the well-being of your workforce with Baptist Healthy Solutions, your answer to convenient and affordable healthcare that comes to you. Our mobile health unit delivers on-site, state-of-the-art, comprehensive care that keeps your employees healthy from the day they're hired till the day they retire. From pre-employment screenings to routine immunizations to on-site injury care and more, trust Baptist Healthy Solutions with your workforce health care needs. Health care that comes to you. Call 866-334-2485. Again, that's 1-866-334-2485.
1: And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Jack Belcher, the Executive Vice President for HBW Resources. And uh, Jack, before the break, we were discussing um, some of the uh, LNG and oil exports, how they're impacting us in a geopolitical way. But are there any threats that are on the horizon for the Shell Revolution?
3: Well, I I think the, the the primary threats are are really threats that we're getting from within the US um and attached to some global organizations really by, you know, anti-development organizations and they're really getting very sophisticated in waging uh campaigns against uh fossil fuel development in the US. They're they're waging those campaigns uh against uh, hydraulic fracturing. And uh, other practices that take place in order to develop our oil, shale, our shale oil, and our um, gas, uh, they're they're going after the infrastructure. But they're going after pipelines um, in increasing numbers. I mean, we all know about Dakota Access and and Keystone, but there's just about every pipeline project that's that's being proposed now, especially interstate pipeline projects, are facing opposition from some very sophisticated opponents. Who are doing, who are taking, using a lot of tools. They've, they're learning the processes, uh, the, the regulatory processes, the FERC processes. They're going in and they're challenging pipelines, and it's certainly leading to delays. It's led to some changes in the rules that are going to be. Uh, expensive and unnecessary, um, and all of these things have their impact, and it's eroding the public's confidence in um, in pipelines. I think they've made some real headway in in you know scaring people into thinking that pipelines are dangerous or that there there's going to be leaks. Um, you know, a lot of not fact-based kinds of accusations that are being made out there. So these are all real threats to our industry and. Uh, and the other way they're going about it is is through um uh defunding uh, whether it's pension funds uh uh divestitures that are taking place all of this has real world impact uh, impact uh on on you know the the sources of capital for industry and the way in which um share prices are are valued are impacted these are all this is all part of the same kind of efforts are taking
1: place well you know jack let me ask you um you know for two years we've been on this show talking about just all the all the things oil and gas and one of the guests that we used to have on and talk a lot about this was uh, a past commissioner commissioner david porter and his discussions were were very to the point that we need to follow the money when we look at these green groups that claim that they are here for the environment but if you look at the funding and it's coming from outside the united states um, possibly from countries that definitely do not want us to do uh, oil exploration and shale here in the United States. Uh, and and he would bring this to our attention and and so, you know, to hear you say these are threats that they're well funded, and uh, you know, the past administration uh, would allow these environmental groups to sue them, which I think the uh, uh, Trump administration has stopped this, sue and uh, and settle. And so we're moving in some directions in the right way to protect the shell uh, revolution in our steps forward to energy dominance. But I want to change subjects just a little bit to the EPA methane rule. You know, is it likely to impact smaller oil and gas producers um, and, and in what way?
3: Well, it is, and, and it's, it's going to because it's going to require that they utilize uh, equipment. Uh, in their operations um, that are going to, you know, add to the cost of, of producing. It's going to impact all oil and gas producers. But the smaller ones, uh, marginal, for instance, I mean, their their margins are smaller and, and there's going to be a greater impact to the economics of the project. But the, the shame of it all is it's being done without real data. The, there were many assumptions made by EPA that were based on very, very small amounts of data uh, big, big assumptions on smaller producers being um, big emitters of natural gas, and we know that producers, you know, especially when your margins are small, you're you're trying to uh, save all the gas and get it to market that you can. You're not you're not wasting it, and so these assumptions are, are basically flawed. And one of the things we've been trying to do. We, we work closely with REPSI, which is a research consortium of oil and gas companies, service companies, and universities to fund a study to get real-world data in producing basins around the country so we know what the actual emissions contribution is. We believe it's much lower than what the EPA is assuming. So let's get some real data out there. We were actually working with this administration's EPA on getting that funded, but they will, they will match the industry uh, for about a half a million dollars, if we can get industry to kick in and and get get some real data, so that in the future when there are court challenges and there are actions that that we have some real data to go by, right? So that's that's something that's 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 quite important. But this this is a rule that's you know the administration is trying to um, delay the implementation of the rule till we get better data, till we have a better understanding. It's an ongoing process. Uh, the courts have have a, ruled a, that that delay can't take place so we're we're kind of back on uh, to square one but it'd be really nice to have good data to use
1: well jack i couldn't agree with you more uh we do have to take a quick break you are listening to in the old patch radio show and we'll be right back farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three and six-person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit yamahaviking.com.
3: Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side owner study.
1: And we're back. You're listening to And The Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Jack Belcher, the Executive Vice President for HBW Resources. And Jack, before the break, we were on the topic of methane. Uh, tell me, do we have a good handle on the actual methane admissions?
3: Well, we, you know, from company to company, they certainly, many companies have good data, but, but as, a, as a rule, we don't. And so we need to we need to get out there in the field and take measurements and really understand what that contribution is um, with, with real actual data in the field um, so that we can, uh, when we're challenging these rules uh, and, the, and the justifications for these rules, we're able to do so precisely with sound science and data behind it. So, so this is all um, – a lot of the EPA actions that have taken place have, have been assumptions already. We need to move forward and, and and have better data involved in this process.
1: Well, you know, last week we interviewed uh, the president of uh, Texas Alliance of Energy produce, Producers, John Tatera. And uh-huh. uh, our discussion was how there's so much misinformation that is just being released without any real scientific data behind it. And the general right. public is just believing because, oh, it's in print, it must be correct. And hold on, not so fast. <laughs> so tell me, what uh, can industry do to get regulations that are based on real science and data?
3: Well, first, I mean, we, we I think we have a commitment from this administration to move forward in that direction, and I think that's taking place. But we also have to be really willing partners to work with the regulators to help them have have access to the right data. So a lot of this is industry being able to provide that data, being willing to work with, uh, with with the agencies so that they're able to utilize data from industry in order to craft these rules. You know, the best rules and regulations that we can create are ones that are based on real practices, based on best practices. Industry has so many of those best practices that we're utilizing around in the, in the oil patch. Um, And and the best way to achieve good regulations, good rules, and good compliance is to be able to work as an industry um, to develop those those guidelines and standards, not have the government develop guidelines and standards on topics that they don't really have the expertise in. So we're all better off. And that makes perfect sense.
1: That makes perfect sense. I mean, if you just take a different topic, so do you want your local grocer to be diagnosing what you might have in a cough or, you know, you're ill. Of course not. You want your doctor and yet this is the practices that are occurring and people are actually believing it because it's coming out from groups that we believe are environmentally friendly or it's the government that's implementing rules that they have really no idea what they're ruling over or the industry itself. They have general Information, but they're certainly not experts. It makes perfect sense to me. I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk a little bit about what is ESG and how is it impacting the investments in the energy sector.
3: So ESG is is a environment, social, governance, and this is the three categories um, that uh, a, a way of judging the performance of companies in these areas. Um, we're we're seeing more and more of the investment community um, focus on these types of indicators uh, in, in a lot of industries. Um, you, know, you name the industry. A lot of the investment funds out there, um, pension funds, uh, private equity funds, are focused on the performance of companies in the area of environmental, uh, social, and governance, and uh, they've actually come up with metrics by which companies are measured. And one of the interesting findings is that um, companies that perform well in these areas uh, all, all tend to be highest in their peer group uh, and, um, in, in both financial performance and performance in ESG factors. So uh, one of the things that I'm working with companies on is, ways that they can understand their ESG performance and understand what some of these investor groups are looking for in terms of their performance and ways that they can improve uh, that performance in, in the area of ESG. It also goes to the regulatory uh, matters that we just talked about because the way that you comply in ESG is by adhering to best practices, implementing best practices, and putting those in place and ultimately, when we do that, we find we're going to have a less of a, a less contentious um, process, hopefully, depending on the administration in place with respect to regulations. And again, how we're, how we're creating our own um, best practices, our own ways to, um, to uh, measure our performance, um, adhere to standards all of those things, and so ESG is an important tool. It's kind of the next big thing. It's really becoming a big uh, criteria as you look at a lot of these funds out there. Um, what they're looking at is in terms of what their investors want. And so we're doing a, we're doing an increasing amount of work in this area, and we're finding that companies, energy companies, are increasingly interested in ways that they can address these things, not just through those actions themselves, but also working with some data analytics to to drill down and understand performance and what some of the threats out there are to a company's ESG uh, rating or, you know, metrics.
1: It almost seems uh, strange to think that, you know, you go to work and you're thinking, okay, I go to work and I am an administrative assistant or I am a, a geologist. You don't think that as an industry you have to consistently think about 50 billion things all at once because there's 50 billion things coming at you if you're in oil and gas. If you're a a pipeline company, it, it affects an oil company. An oil company affects a pipeline company. Everything is intertwined and yet it is extremely complicated. And then on top of all that, then you're attacked from every different direction, <laughs> from government to now, how do I fund these projects? How do we lift uh, this overburdensome regulation? You've got admissions you're dealing with, you've got water issues, you've got land right issues, you've got domain issues. There's just so much that, that I don't think that the average day consumer really thinks and understands how really important this industry is. And yet it is so difficult for them. Every day is a fight to just bring us the product that we use the most in the United States and makes us the most comfortable and what we enjoy every day in our lives. I, when we come back from break, I want to get back into the financing part and the big data analytics, but we do have to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back.
4: Have you heard of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, the largest state association in the country? 87 years strong, serving independents, and it's right here in Texas. Offices in Houston, Austin, and Wichita Falls. Over 3,000 members of all ages like you who are in the oil and gas industry or who have family members and friends who are. Company members range from one employee to large independents. Lobbying, networking events, and saving you money. For a membership tailored just to fit your budget, contact Sandy Simon at sandis at texasalliance.org or call 281-997-7223. That's 281-997-7223.
1: The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. And we're back, you're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Jack Belcher, who is the Executive Vice President for HBW Resources. Jack, before the break, we were talking about ESG and how companies are looking for uh, investment, capital investment. And so talk to me a little bit about how companies can use big data analytics to improve that ESG performance and attract, of course, new capital.
3: Well, first of all, you know, it's, it's, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of these funds are really focused on ESG performance. And so companies need to have a better understanding of what their overall performance is, what are their metrics. Uh, We work with companies to actually identify what the performance is, what are are their metrics, how are they performing, and what can they do to improve that. There are also tools out there that involve analytics that can help you understand, um, uh, taking a lot of data, understand what are the threats out there, how are they impacting companies, what... uh, what, are, what would be the uh, result of taking certain actions. And those are tools that can be used alongside with just expertise on ESG performance and, and uh, enabling companies to improve that and, and ultimately you know, go out there and attract new investment capital uh, based on their ability to really showcase what their performance is.
1: Interesting. Well, I want to change gears a little bit and talk a little bit about Congress and this administration, you know, we've had a new president in place, and um, I'm curious to get your thoughts on what can we expect from Congress and the administration in pertaining to, of course, energy, you know, legislation, uh, regulatory action. Uh, Where are we going, or where do you think we're going?
3: Well, right now, you know, the big issue is the tax bill, Uh, and so everything is being really emphasized, right. Now on the tax bill for the oil and gas sector, you know this this uh, this tax bill moving out and in its you know somewhat near its current form would be a very good thing. Uh, there continue a lot of the tax credits, R and D tax credits, for instance, uh, the tax through for small businesses, uh, really good stuff for domestic energy development. So I think overall, you know that 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 side of things looks very good. There's also an opportunity in all of this. To um, to get the Anwar um, uh, piece uh, passed, uh, the you know workout language that would would uh, bring Anwar, and Anwar is going to be potentially used as a way to pay for um, some of the some of the tax cuts. That's very much part of the equation. Uh, so 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 we we have that going on. I don't see a government shutdown as being likely. Uh, I think we'll be moving into continuing resolutions to get into the next year, which is I think. A, you know, most people think would, that would be a better outcome than to shut down the government. Um, so, and, and and then you know things are looking pretty good for, for the now for this tax bill. Um, there are a few key uh, energy bills moving through the House. There's the Astro Act and the Secure Act. Uh, language is being worked worked on over there. Uh, things like revenue sharing would be part of that uh, regulatory reforms um that would be part of that so this is and and then there's an opportunity then to to uh move with the senate i think this is going to be a play for next year uh and not not for this year just given everything that congress needs to do in the next few weeks before they get out for christmas break Um, but but you know i think early in next year we could be looking at an opportunity for uh, an energy bill moving and that there could be some some good outcomes uh, for the oil and gas industry. Within the administration, I see um, continued uh, reforms that are taking place right now, um, primarily in the area of regulatory. Um, Most of this is not sweeping regulatory reform. Most of this is... Is really um, going back and looking at a lot of issues that uh, were maybe issues in the past administration, um, and, and addressing those on a case by case basis. These things take time, especially if they're going to be done in a way that that is going to be sustainable. So there's 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 some time and effort being put into this. These are not things that you're seeing in the headlines. They're they're kind of you know lower down, very specific technical changes, for instance. But they impact a whole lot of, of, of issues out there that, that have been um, – you know issues that we've been grappling with in the oil and gas energy space uh, for a number of years. So those types of, of actions are going to continue to take place. And then broader regulatory reform I think is, is, is a priority, how we, how we base our regulations. As we were talking earlier, getting back to a, a science-based uh, uh, regulatory process – being able to utilize, you know, industry proven practices uh, as 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 the foundation for for the types of regulations that are implemented, these are all priorities that I think uh, things um, that I know that, that that key people in the administration are looking at. Um, they would certainly be good for our our industry in the long run. So I think you know that there is uh, an opportunity there. Now we get into an election season very quickly next year uh, with, with the midterm elections coming up. So the window for doing a lot of these things is short, especially in the, in Congress. Um, And then who knows what happens in the midterm elections. I think the administration is going to be focused on trying to get as much done in the administration before the midterms, you know, not knowing what the outcomes are going to be there. So I think it'll be a busy, busy year.
1: I, I agree with you. And, you know, um, On uh, our publication, Shell Magazine, uh, we have Trump on our cover, and um, you know our belief is we wanted to explore what is his energy plan and where where does he uh, fall within uh, the past administration, and try to piece together for, of course, the American people to understand. This is a complicated game we're playing here, but. Uh, We did a great article on uh, Trump's energy plan, and so I encourage our listeners to go to shellmag.com and uh, click on the link and uh, read all about it. It'll help connect the dots. And uh, Jack, thank you for coming on today and explaining... uh, explaining a lot more information and, you know, we fight the good fight of just trying to learn more as we pull back the layers of oil and gas and understand how complicated it is. We definitely want to promote the truth uh, out there of what's going on uh, in the oil and gas industry and how it affects us. Thank you so much for being a guest on today's show of In the Oil Patch.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: And congratulations, because you are the topic of today's trivia question. Hey, be the first person to email the correct answer to this trivia question to radio at shellmag.com. Again, that's radio at shellmag.com and win yourself a $100 gift certificate to Fogo the Chow, the amazing Brazilian steakhouse. Today's trivia question is, what company is Jack Belcher the executive vice president of? Remember, to be the first person to email the correct answer to radio at shellmag.com and you will win a one hundred dollar gift certificate to Fogo the Chao, the Brazilian Steakhouse. Well, that's all the time we have for this show, but be sure to like us on Facebook. That is Facebook.com slash in the oil patch radio show and follow us on Twitter at ShellMag. That's going to wrap up another great show. We look forward to seeing you next week with more exciting news and insightful interviews. Until then, adios.
0: In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Mulatto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right
4: here on In the Oil Patch.